Well, good afternoon. If you have your Bibles or your bulletins, would you please take them with me and turn to John chapter 15. Our text for today is John chapter 15, and we will be beginning in verse number, sorry, verse number 12. John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 12. And if you're there and you're able, would you please stand with me now out of respect for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse number 12, and we'll read up into verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we look at this passage in your word, Lord, as we look at your love and the love that is seen in Christ, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that our eyes and our minds and our hearts would be opened, that our emotions and affections would be be turned towards you and towards each other. And God, that this passage of your word would speak to us today, Lord, and that you would edify us and build us up as we go out. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder, when we think about when our time is growing short, maybe towards the end of our life, when we gather our friends and we gather our family close beside us, what sorts of things do we talk about in those final days before death comes? When we know that our time is short and we talk to our friends and we say, This is what I want you to do when I leave. Or when you have your family and you say, when I'm gone, this is how I want you to treat each other. These are the things that I want you to finish when I leave. I'm sure those things that we talk about are very important to us, aren't they? I'm sure we wouldn't waste those precious moments talking about trivial things, things that we don't care about one way or another. But those parting words that we would want to leave with our friends and leave with our family are probably the most important things that we have to ourselves, the most important things that we want to communicate. Well, here in this passage, we have that with Jesus and his disciples. A while ago, Jesus had spoken to his disciples in chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, And he told them, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One of the parting wishes of our Lord, one of the 
last things that he said, his, said to his disciples, his will, his command, his desire, was that they would love one another. A few weeks ago, we saw this when he says, a new commandment I give to you. And we saw that though the command to love had existed before, what was new about this command was that the standard was the love of Christ himself. Well before, we might have simply and truthfully said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now Jesus could almost take that even further and say, do unto others as I have done unto you. Rather than simply love others as you would have them love you, make that example be the example of Jesus and love others the way that Christ has loved us. And today I want us to look at the love of Christ. When Jesus tells his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, he will go on to show the disciples how he has loved them. And I want us to look at this passage and see three ways that Christ has loved us. And let those be the examples of how we ought to love one another. The first thing we will see is that Christ loved us by sacrificing his life. Second, we will see that Christ loves us by serving the undeserving. And last, we will see that Christ loves us by supporting the ministry and the lives of his church. So first, we see that Christ loves by sacrificing his life. Look again with me at verses 12 and 13. There Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And now he goes on to show his love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. After telling them to love one another as he has loved, he lifts up his own love as an example, saying, I lay down my life for you. Notice Jesus doesn't have a song that he's written. He doesn't have a poem. He doesn't have amazing words saying love merely. But rather, Jesus shows his love in what he does for his disciples. It's not just words of love, though those have their place. It's not just loving by withholding hatred, by speaking kind words and not speaking hurtful words. But Jesus loves his church by dying for her. Jesus loves his friends by laying down his life. In the next section, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. There's something that Christ wants us to do, not just feel, not just say, but something that Christ wants us to do, and that's to love one another. Now, some may look at this passage and be concerned, thinking, does that mean that in order to be friends with Christ, we must do this? I think there's that fear in all of us, as different controversies have arisen throughout history, that in order to be a friend of Christ, in order to be saved, we must follow his commands. But notice what Christ is doing. You see, Jesus isn't giving the plan, or he's not giving the method of becoming his friends. He is lifting up his own display of love and his own display of friendship and saying, manifest your love in this way. In other words, as we look at this passage, he is saying, am I your friend? 
Of course I am. Look at how I have loved you and what I have done for you. I have given my life for you. And then for his church, are you my friends? Well, then the answer that we hope for is, of course we are. Look at what we have done for him. We have loved one another. You see, Christ didn't earn our friendship by dying for us. He displayed his friendship. He displayed his love for us. And as we imitate the love of Christ, we don't earn his friendship by loving each other, but we display it. We manifest that we are his disciples because we love like him. We manifest that we are his friends because we take his desires seriously. When Jesus tells his disciples to love one another, because we love him, we obey him. Not out of duty in a sense that we're afraid of being punished, but out of love, out of gratitude, out of friendship with our Lord. We keep his commands and we love one another. The Apostle John, he picks up this theme in his first epistle. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, he talks about this manifestation of the love of God. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, the love of God was made visible, plainly seen among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. How? How are we to love one another? According to the model of Christ, by sacrificing ourselves for each other, by sacrificing the things that we hold dear to ourselves, our time, our effort, our pride, our rights, sometimes even our possessions. When someone is in need, we sacrifice what may belong rightfully to us, but out of love for each other, in a way that mirrors the love of Christ, we give in a sacrificial way. Now, I know many of us are probably thinking, how can I give in a way that mirrors the giving of Christ? I mean, Christ laid down physically his life. Christ went to a cross and died for the sins of his people. How could I ever imitate that sort of love? I'm sure in our minds we're thinking of what are some huge things, some amazing acts of love that we can do? Maybe where are some opportunities where I can give a ton of money to help someone in the church? Where's an opportunity where I can give a ton of my possessions? I can do all of these things for the church. But maybe is there another way that in preparation for those big times when they come, can we love like Christ on a daily basis as well? Maybe in simple times when things are peaceful, when there aren't obvious needs, can we still keep this command of Christ to love one another sacrificially? I believe we can. Because I know that in our day-to-day lives, maybe with our husbands and wives, maybe with our children, maybe with our parents and brothers and sisters, Maybe with our roommates and close friends, 
There's times that we've withheld certain things. Times that we haven't sacrificed when we could. There's been times when we haven't sacrificed our time. There's been times when we haven't sacrificed our pride. And we've allowed a rift in our friendship, a rift in our love to exist because we couldn't just give something up. But if Christ can give up his life, I'm sure we can give up simple things like time, simple things like pride. I'm sure we can give up time in a sense of praying for one another, praying for one another by name, praying for one another with real, maybe, intention. I know in a few hours or a few minutes, we're going to have small group again where we're going to be sharing prayer requests. Maybe as a good thing that we can do for each other is, it's been a long time since we've had a prayer meeting together. Maybe because of the virus and the quarantines, we've lost touch with each other. Well, maybe today we can find out what's been going on in each other's lives. We can hear our prayer requests. And from now on, we can maybe even get a list of the members' names and we can try to pray more intentionally for each other. Because I know for myself and many of us here, even sacrificing our time to pray for one another is a sacrifice for us. So often we're very selfish and we put things off into the future. But I know that if we would even sacrifice the time to pray for each other by name intentionally, then that would build up love for one another. In fact, even if you think of the love of Christ, before he laid down his life for his friends, what was he doing the night before? He was praying for his friends. He was thinking of his friends. And it's by praying for each other and thinking of each other daily that we build love for each other so that when those huge moments arise and we're needed, we can love each other sacrificially because that's what we've been doing on a day-to-day basis. So we see here that Christ loves us by giving his own life as a sacrifice. Now, when we talk about others, sometimes it's very easy to maybe think in broad categories. We can say, I love the church. We can say, I love people, or I love the world. But that's very easy, isn't it? Because if we just say, I love this group, then we can put whoever we want in that group. I feel sometimes very sentimental when I'm singing songs about the church or I'm reading about the church, and I think, I love the church. But in my mind, what am I thinking? I'm thinking of this group of people who are holding hands and they all love each other and they treat each other well. I remember before I studied church history, I thought, I can't wait to study church history. I'm going to study the history of my family. But then when I studied church history, I didn't like it that much. Because it's like studying the the past of your family fighting and breaking up. And it's, it's actually really sad. We can say we love the church, but who is the church? Well, they're sinners. Sinners who have been saved by God's grace. When you were young, maybe older people in the church treated you poorly. And that put a little bit of bitterness in you, made it hard to love the church. 
Maybe there were people that you met throughout your life in the church and, you know, they said things about you and they never made it right and they treated you terribly and it makes it hard to love them. Maybe you've dated in the church and you've experienced really bad breakups and it's really hard to continue to love those people that you had strong relationships with, whether they were someone you dated, someone that you were friends with. But throughout our lives in the church, there's this temptation to think, they don't deserve my love. It's very easy to love those that we think deserve our love. But when we actually meet the people of the church, so often we're tempted to say, I love the church, but this person, they don't deserve it. But that brings us to our second point, that Christ not only sacrificed his life, but the love of Christ is seen in that he serves the undeserving. Look with me again in verses 15 and 16. There he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now we read that section again because I want us to see how much Jesus is giving. He's giving so many things in this passage. He calls them friends, although they should be called servants. But even their position as servants is gracious. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He's given this ministry that they didn't deserve. And even there's a promise of future success and bearing of fruit attached to this promise or to this giving. From the very beginning, Christ has set his love on his disciples completely and utterly out of grace. Nothing in this passage would tell us that these disciples did something to earn all of these blessings. But instead, we see that Jesus comes to them, not because they came to him, but because he chose to come to them and bring them into his church. Jesus says that he shows his love by dying for his friends. But what does Paul tell us about even his death for his church? If we look at Romans chapter 5, we see how undeserving these friends are. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In other words, it's rare but not uncommon for someone to give their life for a good person. Maybe someone who deserves it. It's rare, but it's not uncommon. It's understandable for someone to make sacrifices for good people, people who deserve it. But what's amazing about the love of God is that his sacrifice and his love was not given to those who deserved it, but was given to the undeserving. Now see, in this passage, Jesus is showing us his love as a way to excite us to love one another. 
And his gospel is even more exciting. It's even more amazing to us when we truly understand just how undeserving we are. Now, I know that it's expected for us to say that we're undeserving. It's expected for us to say that everything that we get from God is grace and mercy. But isn't it true that so often we don't really see ourselves as all that undeserving? I know we say it and we know the right answers, but I think in practice, sometimes we think a little bit too highly of ourselves. But what does Scripture say about us? In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says that even by the sin of Adam, all are condemned. Those are strong words. St. Augustine speaks about this fall of man, and he says that all humanity, even by the sin of Adam, is a mass of damnation. Now again, those are very strong words. But you see, it's the strength of those words that adds strength to the gospel. You see, whenever we talk about the saving grace of Christ, whenever we talk about what he's done for for us, it's always a 180-degree turn. It always speaks about from death to life. It always talks about from light or from darkness to light, from enemies to friends. Because you see, a 180-degree turn is far more miraculous than a 90-degree turn. You see, death to life is far more miraculous, far more amazing than sick to healthy. Being made enemies to friends is far more miraculous than being made strangers or acquaintances to friends. You see, the gospel isn't something that's just about making good people better or God coming to the good people and finding those who deserve it and giving them some rewards. No, the gospel is about enemies becoming friends. The gospel is about truly ungodly people, those who truly deserve wrath. Me, you, those who are truly condemned, guilty, becoming justified and innocent by the grace of God. And when we truly understand how undeserving we are, then the grace of God becomes far more amazing to us. And when the grace of God is far more amazing to us, we see the love of Christ in a way that maybe we didn't see before. And as the Apostle John tells us, if God has loved us in this way, brothers and sisters, ought we also to love one another? As Christ has loved us, we ought to love one another. We shouldn't make excuses. We shouldn't say things like, you should have heard what they said about me. We shouldn't say things like, you should have seen what they did, what they said about me or my family, what they said about my children, what they said about my mom or my dad. But if these people are in the church, we should always, at least on our part, be trying to extend the love of Christ because these were his dying words, to love one another. Some of the last words of Christ were treat the relationships within the church incredibly seriously. These aren't just friendships the way that the world treats them, friendships that can be broken and made friends with other people, but this is your church. This is your family. And Christ wants us 
to show his love among this group of people. The relationships that we have here in this church are incredibly important. The love of Christ is seen in that he sacrifices his life for us, that this sacrifice is given to those who don't deserve it. And last, it is seen in the way that he supports his church. He supports his people. Look at the last way that Jesus describes his love in verse number 16. There he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now this last line when Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name to the Father, he'll give it to you. We know that throughout time, many mean or well-meaning and good-intentioned Christians have looked at this passage and have thought, this means that anything that we need, we can go to the Lord. Perhaps sometimes we look at this passage and we think that Christ is promising that anything that we desire, anything that we pray for, the Lord will give it to us if we just have enough faith. But brothers and sisters, I just want us to warn us against the prosperity teaching that is around us, that this sort of doctrine is not only inconsistent with the context, as we'll see, but I believe very damaging to a lot of us. Because I'm sure that we've seen people pray and expect things, but not get them in question whether or not Scripture was making the right kinds of promises. So then what does it mean then when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name to the Father, he'll give it to you? Well, I have an illustration that I think might help us. Um, recently, uh, my wife and I, we've been really struggling in doing my American taxes. I'm really bad at that sort of thing. And we've reached out um, to uh, some people uh, here in the church. We've reached out to uh, friends of the family um, back in the U.S. And there's a woman that uh, she knows my mom. And she is absolutely displaying the love of Christ to us. She has offered that though she is an accountant and she usually has people pay her to help with taxes, she has offered to do it for us free of charge. And we don't deserve it. She doesn't even know us. But she's offered to do this for us. And recently we've been talking to her, giving her information, asking her questions. And of course, when I ask her questions and she gives me information, I say, thank you. And I've written down one of her responses to me. And let's see if we can figure out what she's trying to say. I told her, thank you for all your help. And she wrote to me, no problem. Let me know if there's anything else I can help you with. Now, what does she mean by that? Let me know if there's anything else I can help you with. Maybe if I just took that statement, that's a blank check, isn't it? I mean, she said anything. <laughs> right? I mean, it's laughable. We know that's not what she's saying. It doesn't mean that if I call her up and I said, hey, I'm here to cash in that anything that you said, I would like a few hundred dollars. I know you got it. I would like a nice house. I would like a car. I would like some nice new clothes. 
I would like you to put in a good word for me at my next interview. No, when, what she means when she says anything else that you might need, there's a context there, right? It means that concerning what I have offered to help you with, what I have offered to support you in, anything that you need, I'm there for you. You've got my support. Anything that I can do for you, I will do for you concerning what I have promised. Now let's look at this passage again. And let's see what context Jesus has offered full support in. He says there in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now you see, there is a certain ministry a certain duty that Christ has appointed his disciples for. These apostles, he's going to send them out to preach the gospel, to establish churches, and to work in this new kingdom that he's creating. And he is telling them, as you go out in this ministry that I have appointed to you, anything that you need, go to my Father and ask in my name. I will support you. You will bear fruit. You see, Christ is giving a promise that in your appointed ministry, you will bear fruit that as you go to the Father and ask him in his name, he will support you. Now, every single one of us, we have been given some sort of appointment by God. We often think of appointment only as maybe appointment in the church like the apostles here, but your, appoint, your appointments may be as parents to children, maybe as husbands to your wives, wives to your husbands. We all have different appointments, whether that's at your work to provide for your family, whether that's in your relationships with each other, maybe that's even here in supporting this church. Whatever it is that God has given to you, whatever your ministry, whatever your area of bearing fruit, God has promised that he is there for you. That Christ has not left you on your own as you strive to live according to the gospel, walking in holiness, walking in this life that he has given you. He has promised to be there for you. I'm sorry to say that you cannot put anything in that anything that Jesus has given you, but in your bearing fruit, in the ministry that he has appointed you in, absolutely anything is part of that anything. You can go to the Lord asking him for support, asking him to help you in whatever appointed ministry that he has given you. Are you struggling to bear fruit in holiness? Are you struggling to share the gospel to those around you? I want us to remember that we may not always get the fruit that we expect. What we think to be success is not always success by the Lord's standards. But we can be sure that as we minister, as we live and we seek to be faithful to God's word, we can be sure that as we ask the Lord for support, he can support us. And that one day we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That bearing fruit can be a sure thing 
as the Lord has promised us his support. Jesus says similarly in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Whatever it is that you're struggling with, are you struggling to be a good husband, a good wife? Are you struggling to be a good parent, thinking, I am not cut out for this ministry. I am not cut out for this appointed thing that God has given me. Your Father in heaven loves you. You, being evil, wouldn't give bad gifts to your children. How much more would your heavenly Father, who is perfect and holy, not give his Holy Spirit to equip you for the ministry that he has given you? You see, anything that you ask in the name of Christ, the Father will give you in support for the appointed ministry that he has. What I'm trying to get across is that in our calling, the Lord is there. And as we imitate the love of Christ, we should be there for each other as well. You see, oftentimes when we think about personal holiness or our personal walk with the Lord, we emphasize that personal a little bit too much. And what I mean by that is, though our lives and many things are our responsibility, we as the church are called to edify one another. We are called to imitate Christ by being there for one another. The people sitting around you are struggling in those different ways. We have struggling husbands and wives and parents. We have struggling roommates and friends. And we need to be there for one another. It's not just their responsibility to do what God has called them to do. But as the church, it is our responsibility to love one another as Christ has loved us. And as Christ is there to support his church, we also ought to be there to support the members of the church as well. I remember it was so fascinating to me when I first started looking at the Westminster Catechism and the other catechisms, and I saw the very unique way that they treated the Ten Commandments. You see, I had never looked at uh, their treatment of the Ten Commandments before, and it's interesting that, you know, when we think about the Ten Commandments, most of them begin with, thou shalt not, right? So we usually think of them in a very negative sense, not bad, but telling us what we should not do. But we know that all of God's law hangs on those two tables, that they can summarize everything that God has commanded us to do and not to do. And as we look in our catechism, as it talks about the Ten Commandments, often, not only does it say what is forbidden, but it also says what duties are required in each of the commandments. And I found it so interesting that if you look at the catechism, a lot of the duties that are required, they describe how we are to help others keep that commandment as well. For example, if we were 
to look at the commandment, thou shalt not kill. We are told that we are also to make every endeavor an effort to preserve the lives of others as well, looking out for each other's lives, not just not hurting each other's lives. When we look at the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, we are also told to not only preserve our own purity, but also to preserve the purity of our neighbor as well in their hearts, in their speech and behavior. Why is that? It's because we are to love like Christ. We are not only concerned that we are walking in holiness, but we are concerned about our brother and our sister. Often we say things like, you know, if I do something or if I say something or if I dress in a certain way and that causes someone else to sin, that's their sin, not mine. Don't we say that a lot? But how loving is that? That's their sin, not mine. That's not loving. That's not looking out for one another. Our brothers and sisters, they're struggling like us. They're trying to live holy lives. And we as the church are here to help each other, not to make things more difficult. So often we're tempted to put that responsibility on other people. But we must remember that we have the responsibility to edify as well. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he says that we are to stir one another up to love and good works, not tear one another down to anger and sin. But we ought to be thinking of one another because we're trying to love like Christ, aren't we? We're trying to sacrifice our rights. We're trying to sacrifice our lives for one another, though we are oftentimes very undeserving. And like Christ, we want to continue to build each other up, to continue to build up the church. I mean, isn't that what Christ did for us? In a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And we can see all of this, even in the supper, right? As we partake of the bread and the wine, the Holy Spirit is communicating to us, or as we partake in faith, the Holy Spirit is giving us Christ. Literally, Jesus died for us. He gave us his body and blood as we see in the supper. We are undeserving. We receive it as a gift. And throughout our lives as Christians, he is sustaining us. He is being there for us in our walk, in our ministries. And we ought to do the same, to sacrificially love those who do not deserve it and continually support one another as we go through our lives. In closing, I want us to notice the very last verse of our passage. It says there, These things I command you so that you love one another. Jesus repeats himself. It's very important to him that we love one another. Because we are to love as Christ has loved us. It is his love, and it is hearing about his love that ought to excite us to love one another. You see, loving Christ and loving one another, they go hand in hand. We can't separate the two from each other. As we were reading in 1 John, there it says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. We love others because God first loved us. Whoever loves God must love his brother. You see, if you know the love of God, if you know what Christ has done for you, if you know that you're undeserving, and you know how he continues to support you in your life, that ought to excite us to love one another. I know this has been a very convicting sermon for me to prepare because I have failed often in this. It's very difficult to love one another in a sacrificial way when others don't deserve it and to keep doing that, thinking of others throughout our lives. We're all very selfish and we're all very sinful. So then how then do we become excited to do this? It is by looking at the love of Christ, what he has done for us, how he has given of himself for us, and how he continues to support us. So brothers and sisters, church, myself included, from this moment forward, let us look at the love of Christ, see what he has done for us, and endeavor even more eagerly to manifest the love of God amongst ourselves, loving one another just as Christ has loved us. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, God, as we go before you in prayer, we admit that our love for one another, it often, it pales in comparison for your love for us. Lord, we often, we only love when it's easy, when it's free, when it's simple. Lord, we often only love when it feels like that love is deserved. But Father, I pray that you would remind us through your word what sort of love you gave to us. Lord, that while we were undeserving, while we were sinners, you loved us. and You sent your son who gave his life for us. Lord, I pray that you would stir up the love of Christ in our hearts, God, that myself included and everybody here, Lord, that as we interact with each other, as we interact with Christians and other churches and other places, Lord, that you would remind us how important it is that we love one another. Lord, I pray that there would be an increasing amount of unity and love in your church. Lord, not just for our own peace, but that your beauty and that your glory would be manifest to the world. Lord, so that when people look at your church, they say, these are the disciples of Jesus. Because look at how they love the way that Jesus loved them. So I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we, that we would be empowered to do this. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. We pray, amen.